Jazzcast Pros. I'm sure you're aware and your listeners are aware that our Surgeon General has actually said mental health is the next pandemic for our youth. We're in the midst of a mental health pandemic for our students because there is such a surge. You have the mental health of the students. You have the mental health of the teachers. You have the mental health to consider of the parents, of administrators. How do you go about teaching those coping skills and those life skills that are needed. One of the things that we're using in our district and that also uh, President Biden had referenced in his agenda for mental health is mental health first aid. It's just like we um, teach CPR to people. We want to teach mental health first aid. So we want mental health first aid to be as common as CPR. Welcome to Living the Front Seat Life. I'm your host, Kelly Marie, and I invite you to take this journey with me. We're going to be talking about all things mental health and emotional well-being. You see, I am a overcomer. If you are interested in figuring out the path for you to determine how and where you will drive your future, this is the place to be. We get to determine the ride. We may not get to determine the weather or who's on the road with us or if it's going to be a scenic route or not, but we are the drivers. So join me on this ride, living the front seat life. Welcome to Living the Front Seat Life. It is your host, Kelly Marie, and it is a pleasure, as always, to be here with you. I have an incredible guest with me today. Dr. Bennett is an educator. She's a coach. She specializes in mental health for youth, mental health for adults. And we are going to talk about, you know, really what is happening in the schools some of the issues that they're going through and how you, as someone that loves and supports a child, whether they're your child or grandchild, where you can support the children in your life. Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for joining. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in, right? We are still in the midst of a pandemic, even though people think it's gone because no one has to wear masks anymore. Um, It's still real. It's still an actual thing. And at the same time, we have young people that have spent, in some cases, three years dealing with a pandemic, either not in school, homeschooling, being in school, masking, not masking, so many things that they're dealing with in addition to living their lives, right? In addition to just being kids. What are you seeing in your day-to-day work? So what I'm seeing, and just for a little background, I'm currently serving as the Director of Student Support Services for a district in Atlanta, in a um, large district in Atlanta. And in that role, I serve, I support social workers, nurses, counselors, and uh, mental health providers. And one of the things that we're seeing is a surge on mental health referrals with our students. We... um, definitely have seen that our students, that is such an increase that we can't keep enough providers in the schools. 
our Surgeon General, and I'm sure you're aware and your listeners are aware that our Surgeon General has actually said mental health is the next pandemic for our youth. We're in the midst of a mental health pandemic for our students because there is such a surge. And we have parents that are fighting this um, social emotional learning in the classroom because they feel that we need to focus on, you know, just teaching and learning. But if we don't focus on the mental health piece, our children are not going to be able to process anything because they've been isolated for so long. They've seen death. They've seen collective trauma as a nation, social justice. We have people that are worried about the inflation. There's just so much that they've seen. Their hopes and dreams as they had them have been diminished. You know, kids that were going off to college and they had that envisioned in one way. It didn't happen that way. So they were not ready for those um, hard failures. And we've seen an increase in the number of suicidal ideations. Um, one of the numbers that I've seen recently was 3,500. And that was just for a small district of 86,000. You know, I work and support a number of school districts just with some mentoring and such. And one of the districts had reported uh, over 3,500 in suicidal ideation for their students. And that is a significant increase. So um, we're definitely feeling it. We're also seeing it with our teachers and our adults. Um, they are also having secondary trauma from dealing with and supporting the students. So we're doing this dual thing where our office is trying to support the students with their mental health and also at the same time trying to support the adults because we've had a number of teachers die by suicide this year. So it has been um, quite an interesting year. I think everyone had their hopes up for coming and returning to a school year where, oh, there's no pandemic. We can let our guard down. And when they were hit with it, they didn't have the coping skills or the mindset in place to combat what they were really facing. So everyone just, and, and I say everyone, and I'm generalizing, but what we're seeing is students, adults, parents assessed it differently. Uh, we were at a meeting the other day and what we're seeing is adults behaving badly. We, you know, adults snapping and lashing out in meetings, children modeling that behavior. So we've seen an increase in disciplinary referrals. We've seen an increase in special education referrals because the adults may not necessarily understand that that's anxiety or that student is asleep for a different reason. So it's been a consistent, ongoing uh, need to educate everyone in the building. That is a lot. I mean, how... So you, you have the mental health of the students, you have the mental health of the teachers, you have the mental health to consider of the parents, of administrators. How do you go about teaching those coping skills and those life skills that are needed, but also addressing the emergent issues that are occurring? One of the things that we're using in our district and that also uh, President Biden had referenced in his agenda for mental health is mental health first aid. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with mental health first aid. We are going to err on the side of caution and let everybody know what mental health first aid is. I actually love the program. 
I took it both before the pandemic and during the pandemic and really appreciate how they have included self-care in the program that wasn't there before. So just uh, let folks know what mental health first aid is, how it works, and we'll, we'll talk some more about the program. Perfect. I would love to. So again, in response to the nation's mental health crisis, we have decided to move forward with an evidence-based program. It started in Australia in, I think, 2012, and it started as an adult program. And in uh, 2008, it started. And in 2012, they started the youth program and brought it here to the United States. And what it is, is it's an, a five-step action program where they um, teach you how to identify, understand, and respond to the signs and symptoms of mental health, and substance abuse, substance issues, uh, any type of mental health challenges. And the thing is, you're not expected to diagnose anyone. It's simply that you're giving the tools that you need to understand, again, identify and recognize those signs and symptoms. When we have trained teachers with this program, they are like, you know what, I would have never noticed, or I would have just thought the students were just acting out. They didn't realize that these were the signs that they were supposed to look for because they're all about teaching and learning academics. They didn't think about this five-step action plan. And it's a really quick and easy, well, it's a full day program and, and they've adjusted it to some extent. Every time they're um, addressing it, they're updating the curriculum and changing it. You mentioned the self-care plan, which is huge. That's something that they've added to it. But it's a quick, five-step action plan that really just guides the first aiders through the process of reaching out to um, offering the appropriate support. And they continually tell you, you are not here to diagnose. You're not here to diagnose. It's just like we um, teach CPR to people. We want to teach mental health first aid. So they, we want mental health first aid to be as common as CPR. You know, you raise an excellent point. They do repeatedly in the training let you know that you're not diagnosing anyone. Um, just like if someone passes out and needs CPR, you're not there to figure out, you know, what their blood pressure is, uh, what symptoms they may have had prior to, you don't go into all of that, right? You just deliver CPR until you have a medical professional there, EMT, you know, response. And similarly with mental health first aid, you know, you go through the steps and if someone is in crisis, again, you're not there to diagnose, you're there to help de-escalate until the mental health professionals arrive. So can you go through those five steps with people just to give them a little taste of, of what they would go through in the class? I absolutely can. But before I do that, I do want to say that they also added a teen program to it. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the teen program, but the teen program, I just completed the training for that, is one where teens will work with their peers because we know kids are not wanting to talk to us about their issues. So they may have challenges and they don't want to talk to their parents. They don't want to talk to their teachers necessarily, but they will talk to their friends. They will say, 
hey, so-and-so, such-and-such, you know, I'm thinking about hurting myself or I'm depressed about this relationship that just ended because I want to, you know, I want to hurt myself for whatever reason. And they teach you to ask the question. Don't play around with it. Ask the question directly. And within the mental health first aid, we actually have a number of series there. So we have mental health first aid, and then we have one for veterans. We have one for aging adults. We have one for college students. So we have different populations that we target in there. One for firefighters and first responders. For example, I did one for our uh, school resource officers. So we have one where we target certain populations. Then we have one that's youth mental health first aid. And for that one, we target any people that, or community members, any educators, anyone that works with, is surrounded by church members that find themselves working with or surrounded by youth, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles. So there's that one. And then we have the teen mental health first aid, and that is for peers. It's for students that are, 13 to 18, and they work together to um, learn how to help their peers. That's incredible. And so they've modified the program so that everyone has access to these five steps? Absolutely. And actually, with the teen program, they've actually modified the action plan as well so that it's a little more user-friendly, although I like algae, but they've modified that so that students understand it because in our action plan, which let me go through that. So it's algae and it's assessed. The first part of the youth mental health first aid and the, and I'll just call it for our purposes, adult mental health first aid action plan. That five-step action plan is an A and that's assess. And it's actually, we when we do it, when we train people, we talk about the big A and the little A because you're constantly assessing that person and checking to find out if they're um, in need, if there's an issue going on, because we all know it's not a one and done. You know, it's not just, well, you're fine today and you're going to be fine forever. So I don't have to worry about you anymore. It's right. So after you go through that, you have the L, the listen. So you want to listen non-judgmentally because, you know, we all have a tendency to listen with judgment. You know, we have a number of students that may share things with you that you're not ready to hear. We tell our participants, put on your crash helmet, get your face together. Do not respond with your facial expressions. If you can't pull that together, then this may not be for you because we don't want our students and we don't want adults that are dealing with this they don't need your judgment. So you need to listen non-judgmentally. So that's one of the things. So after you do your approach and your assessment, you're going to assess for risk of suicide or harm. You're going to listen non-judgmentally. Then there's that G, you're going to give reassurance and information. So, and then we have our um, E for encourage, encourage appropriate professional help. And then we have our encourage self-help. So we're going to encourage self-help and support strategies. And each of those, it, I mean, it's so much more that goes into that. I'm trying to rush through them. And it spells out algae. So approach would be the first thing you have to do is approach the person. You have to get your courage up to approach that person 
and say, are you thinking of harming yourself? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? And you have to ask the question, do you, are you trying to kill yourself? Are you trying to commit suicide, die by suicide? And language is important. Language is important because we want to use non-judgmental language. If you say commit, that's like committing a crime. So we often, we want to say die by suicide. It has more dignity. You're going to have to come back because we have to dive some more into um, so many topics. But um, sticking with algae and mental health first aid for now, you know, what I appreciated in the class the second time around was that they did incorporate that approach piece, you know, needing to actually say in the class, say the words in the class, getting comfortable in the class to say, do you want to kill yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. We think that it is rude. We think it's, um, you know, embarrassing. You know, we don't want to um, give anybody ideas, but that's the furthest from the truth. Like we have to be able to ask the question. I know for me and my personal story, there is a difference between someone asking me because of my lived experience, you know, do you want to hurt yourself? I may know what you mean, right? I know exactly what you're driving at, but you didn't actually ask me the question. So my answer is no, I don't want to hurt myself. I want to take my life, right? Like though, mm-hmm. though that was my thought process. And so I would talk myself out of interventions when dealing with medical professionals because they didn't actually ask the question. So I never want people to think that they they should not ask or they they shouldn't talk about suicide. That is definitely something we have to get comfortable talking about and using the words. You have to call a thing a thing. And I think Ayana Van Zant says that call a thing a thing because if you don't, you may miss an opportunity to save a life. Because right. if you don't ask them, you know what, they didn't care enough to ask me what they needed to ask me, or they didn't, you don't know what thoughts are going through that person's mind. That question, that bold, brazen question may shock them into, oh, do I really want to do this? Or you don't know how that might, we watched in the old series, we watched this Kevin Hines video and he's all over. You can Google it, YouTube it. But the long and short is when he was on that bridge and he actually went over the bridge, but miraculously by the grace of God, he lived. And he said, had one person reached out to him and just said something to him, he would he would not have gone through with what he did. And again, by the grace of God, he jumped, but he lived, but he just wanted one person, just anybody to ask him. And the thing is, you know, I do the work that I do. I respond to crisis situations. We go out to the homes after students have died by suicide. My husband is a uh, police officer and he's gone out after um, students have died by suicide. And I can tell you, um, from cases that we've both been to at the same time. It's not a pretty sight. So ask the ugly question so you can avoid the ugly situation. And that's one of the things I um, encourage people to do is I'd rather you be upset with me because I asked you than for you to not be here because I did not. I'd mm -hmm. rather you not speak to me, right? I'd rather it me asking you if you want to take your life or die by suicide, if I'd rather ask that question 
and you never speak to me again, but you have the opportunity to live a full life, then for me to say nothing at all and lose you, mm-hmm. right? And, yes. you know, it is imperative that we understand our connection to people. That video um, really is a, a good video for people to watch. And that's one of the reasons why I encourage people to be the light, because you never know when someone is in their darkest moment. They could be smiling and they want to die, right? They could be laughing. They could be jovial. They can be, you know, what you think is having a good time, but they're not, right? And so we never know when we meet someone where they are. And so we should always be in a position to be the light because you could save a life and not even know it. And I want to be sure that people understand that we are also still talking about youth and mental health. Young people are taking their lives. Young people are dying by suicide. And we have to be able to have those conversations. We're not just talking about adults. We're talking about young people. They are hurting and they need our help. So what are some ways that hopefully people will be interested in mental health first aid and and go online and sign up for a class? But what are some ways that someone can be the light for a young person? What is some ways that someone can be there for a young person, be it their child, be it, you know, a neighborhood kid, you know, a a youth at church, like you you said earlier. Can you give us some examples? Absolutely. And before I do that, I want to dispel a myth that Black children and brown children are not dying by suicide. That is a myth. The numbers, in fact, The research supports it was just last month that we are actually surpassing other children, um, Indian children. We are surpassing Caucasian children, Asian children, Indian, all others in our numbers in terms of dying by suicide. And I will let me pull this information so that you can share it with your listeners. It's our girls, of course. Our girls are dying at a higher rate by suicide, but black and brown children are dying by suicide at a faster rate than anyone else. And it has a lot to do with that collective trauma, but there there are a variety of things that are going on. We have to stop telling our children that, and and you asked me for some strategies, and the reason this is... uh, looming large. It's because of some situations that we just dealt with just in my district. And we have a cultural considerations for mental health first aid and the LGBTQ plus communities. We have a training specifically that we do for those areas because of the bullying and the number, the increase that we're seeing. And in our communities, we tend to say, Let's pray it away. You don't have that issue. Girl, please, mm -mm, that child just needs Jesus. No, you actually need some mental health support. You actually need to sit down and have some therapy. And you might need a little bit of medication to go along with that. But, you know, I'm not here to diagnose, but we do need a professional that can do that. And we tend not to seek out that support and it's right there for us and our children are suffering as a result. So I would encourage our parents when our kids, one one thing that I hear from our parents is, oh, she just wants attention. Well, you know what, if they are seeking attention, give it to them. Give it to them however they are seeking it so that you can see your child the next day. You know, 
unfortunately, this topic, suicide, mental health, and mental illness are topics that are taboo in many communities, but especially in communities of color. And we need to, as people, get to the point where we understand that we don't understand, right? Like it is okay to not understand depression. It is okay not to understand anxiety. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to experience it, but you have to respect what someone is going through, right? And Mm -hmm. just because one person can pray their way through doesn't mean that another person can, right? And so what works for one person doesn't work for another. And so we have to be open and honest and considerate and empathetic when it comes to addressing mental health and understanding that we may not understand. It's not for me to force on you how I deal with my depression, right? It's for me to support you, to be there for you. How can I help you? In what ways can I be there for you, right? So that you can have the journey that you need in order to heal, in order to recover, in order to live a healthy life. That pray it away piece, or, you know, I've heard the child is demon possessed. I mean, just when they need therapy, they need Mm -hmm. counseling. There is a mental illness at play, right? And if you are not a mental health professional, just like you can't diagnose kidney disease, you can't diagnose a mental illness. Mm -hmm. So rely on the professionals to to do what they do. Like we have TurboTax for our taxes, but that does not make you an accountant, right? And what we can do as, as lay folks, as just regular everyday people, we can educate ourselves. We can take classes like mental health first aid, right? So that we can learn what to do in case there is a, a mental health emergency. What advice would you give to parents who um, are just looking at their children and, and thinking that there may be an issue? Like, they don't know what it is, but their children are, are just acting differently. What would you advise them to do? Talk to their children. And typically, when you ask your children questions, they're going to say, I'm fine. I'm okay. Nothing's wrong. Continue to probe. Ask them, do they want to talk to someone? And depending on the issue, and that's one of the things in mental health first aid, and I hate to bring it right back to that, but every all roads lead back to mental health first aid. We do scenarios where you act out parents, counselors, teachers, and such talking to young people. So get your child involved in whether it is a mentoring program, big brother, big sister, counseling. But for parents, talk to your children, find out what's going on. We are so busy working and trying to provide things and stuff and iPhones and this life of things and creating many adults and getting our children into the next best thing. You know, we want them to achieve, achieve that we have forgotten about just sitting down and having a meal with our children and talking to them about what has happened in their life, what's going on in their school, what they are enduring, because school is rough. I don't care what school you attend. I work in one of the top school districts, number one in terms of test scores, very good school districts in Georgia. But it's hard for students 
School is hard. The pressures that they have academically. One of the students that I was working with that wanted to die by suicide, and I was actually counseling her and coaching her through it. I'm not a trained counselor, but I do coach the students. I was responding to this particular crisis, and she said, I am going to, I have a plan because we always assess. We do a, a, an assessment if they have an active plan and such. She had a plan. She was not deviating from her plan. And she said, I have to take these final exams so that I can leave my parents good grades because that is important to them. Not that I am here, but I want to leave them good grades. So the fact that that was in her mind, that says a lot. And when we called the parents, the parents, uh, again, she was seeking attention. She just needs to go. And, you know, that's that's another conversation. So I say, talk to your students, do things with your students, with your children, do activities together, good old fashioned activities with your children that don't involve sometimes that don't involve technology, that don't involve the phone and social media talk to them and find out what's going on in their world, provide them the counseling, the therapy, the support that they need, get involved in their school, ask questions, find out, pay attention to their friend group, find out exactly what's going on. Sometimes you have to snoop and go through their thing. Respect their privacy, but at the same time, if you are curious, and I would tell my son, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to go through your things because I need to keep you safe. And um, you can give it to me or I can go through it tonight when you go to sleep, which I'd much rather do it while you're here with me. Now, that's not necessarily the best thing to do, but stay involved and let them know that you care enough to get involved because some parents don't want to know. They just want to ignore it. They want to ignore it because they don't want to deal with the reality of it and mentoring in having a caring adult, the research so shows that's the number one protective factor that will turn around all other risk factors. So we look at risk factors and protective factors when we're talking about trauma and resilience. And the thing that helps students with their resiliency is having a caring adult in their life. So that's why we weigh so much on the fact that you need to have, if it can't be the parent, get a mentor, get a big brother, get a coach, hire a coach. A lot of parents hire out that person. You know, with our coaching program, we work with girls to do things. So if their parents can't do it, you know, we do activities. You have the girls and boys club or the boys and girls club, whichever. Have your child linked to someone that they know is a go-to person. They need one person that they can say, I know this person cares about whether I live or die. That's, I don't, I don't have a response. Like I'm, I'm speechless. Oh, and I would just say one more suggestion that we've done, we're doing in our school. And I don't know why we're the only public school system doing this for free is mindfulness. We have started doing mindfulness for our students, but we offer it for free. And I have seen students coming off of anxiety medication. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that, and I am not telling anybody to come off their medication, but we offer yoga during the day. We offer mindfulness for our students, and we have wellness rooms and um, coaches on staff. 
And that has made a significant difference in our students. It helps with self-regulation. It helps with them controlling their motor skill, motor functions and skills. It helps with that anxiety and that stress and that that um, spastic energy. So that is one of the things that we have started to do is in the last two years, we started with a pilot and we started with the high schoolers and then we just started trickling it down. And now K through 12, we offer in different classes and we don't require it. It is something that you have to want to do because it's something that you can't force on someone. And we, in that, we're empowering students to be strong and confident, stay in the here and now. You can't focus on what happened in the past. You have to be present in the moment and just paying attention to that here and now without judgment. Teaching people how to be non-judgmental about themselves and not judge. Like when you can learn how to truly not judge yourselves, baby, can't nobody take nothing from you. That's huge. I'm still working on that. Aren't we all? It's a journey. Aren't we all? Yeah, it's a journey. <laughs> and that's why we want to teach kids young how to do that. Right. We want to teach right. them how to breathe, save. And that's why I have started taking those classes so I can take that into the Black community for free and give that to our children to help our Black children one breath at a time. Help them get rid of that anxiety one breath at a time. Breathe it in, breathe it out. That's so huge and incredibly important. I thank you so much for all that you're doing. I want people to be able to, um, we've talked a lot about mental health first aid. I want them to be able to sign up for classes. So I know there is a um, zip code search online at the the mental health first aid website, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. And anyone can take mental health first aid. You don't have to be a teacher or counselor or medical professional. This class is for just anybody, right? Anyone can take mental health first aid. Of course, within the age range, we don't offer it to anyone under 13. So if you're doing the teen mental health first aid, you need to be within the age range. You need to be between 13 to 18. Once you are 18 and over, you can participate in youth mental health first aid. You can participate in adult mental health first aid, which we really just call mental health first aid. And if you decide you would like to do uh, participate in mental health first aid, you just go to our web, go to the mental health first aid website. You can type in mental health first aid website and um, it you'll probably get something that says National Council for Mental uh, Wellbeing. And you go type in your zip code and there's a list of trainings that are offered. Typically, there are people in your community that are offering it in your church. You can always find someone. It's offered everywhere. So you can, and before you pay for it, find out if you can get a grant. Find out if there are grants available. Google free mental health first aid training. A lot of agencies are offering it for free. Churches are offering it. So make sure before you pay, because there are people training, when you go to the website, you will see there's a, a range of people offering it. And one thing I did not say, 
Because of the pandemic, it used to be an in-person training. Now there are a variety of ways that we can offer this training. You can take the training face-to-face, which is that in-person training where you are there with the instructor. There's also an opportunity for you to take that training in a blended model where you do uh, pre-work online virtually before you participate, and then you do a portion of it in person. Or there's another blended model where you do pre-work before you attend another virtual session where it's a a live session, like a um, Zoom session, with the instructor and the other participants. And it's a really phenomenal session. And that's the one they continue to do this because people need to learn things however it's convenient for them. So we are continuing with this model. Thank you. So if you're interested in taking mental health first aid, go to mentalhealthfirstaid.org. Then click on the Get Trained tab. And then from there, at the very bottom of the tab, there will be another button that says find a course. Click on that button, enter your zip code, and you can find a class near you. Well, one of the things that we say is it's a movement. So when more people are equipped equipped with the tools, we need to start the dialogue and get them trained so more people can save lives. So if most of us know how to help somebody if they were having a heart attack, we would give them CPR, we call 911, but do we know how we would help somebody if they were having a, pa- a panic attack? Do we know how we would help a friend that was uh, al- um, showing signs of alcoholism or a coworker? What would we do? So mental health first aid is really something that will empower you and give you the tools to identify, understand, and respond to the signs and symptoms. It's that it takes that fear and hesitation out of starting that conversation about mental health and substance use problems. It improves the person's understanding and provides them a action plan, this five-step action plan, and it teaches them how to safely and responsibly identify and address those potential mental illness issues. Wow, what an incredible conversation around mental health, the mental health of our young people, and mental health first aid. Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for joining us. Just to wrap up, if you are interested in being an advocate in learning how you can help um, your friends, your family, the youth in your life, you can sign up for a mental health first aid class by going to mental health firstaid.org, mentalhealthfirstaid.org for uh, a free mental health first aid class. You can learn warning signs. You learn about self-care. You can learn how to be there for someone else when they are in a mental health crisis. Until the next time, again, Dr. Bennett, thank you so much. And to you, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, share this podcast with someone else. I think there's great information here. You know, we're living the front seat life and what a great way to help others do the same by sharing the podcast. So until the next time, be the light.
Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Kelly. The host of Getting Real with Bossy, the real, raw, and honest podcast about small business ownership. We created Bossy to be a safe place to ask the hard questions and to get support that's necessary. With our experience, nine businesses in over 25 years, we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known. We move past the must-be-nices and start getting real. Come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story. Leave with another tool for the next time you feel alone on this journey. Business ownership leads to unexpected knowledge. What are you an expert at? Tell us at Getting Real with Bossy and subscribe today.